The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, welcome to everyone here in the name of Jesus. May the peace of Christ be upon all of you this morning. We're going to continue this morning and next week our sermon series, Christ and Crisis, but uh, the week after next, we're going to begin a new sermon series on uh, prayer. And it's called When You Pray, Praying Your Way into God's World. And we thought after this sermon series where we're talking about crisis, it'd be appropriate to talk about prayer. And so when Jesus' disciples come to Jesus, say, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. So we're going to spend several weeks talking about prayer and particularly the Lord's Prayer. When God prays, how does God pray? So we want to encourage you guys that this week, uh, Christ in Crisis next week, uh, Brett is going to finish up by capping off this sermon series of Christ in Crisis. Uh, But we want to encourage you that here in uh, three weeks, we're going to begin a sermon series on prayer. This series has been both challenging and fruitful. And we have had members of this congregation share about their lives and their faith. They've been vulnerable with us, and we deeply, deeply appreciate everyone who has shared with us. In fact, uh, there have been uh, more than one of you that have come up to Brett or I during the sermon series says, hey, I've got a, I've got a crisis to share. I've got a, a story to tell. And so, one, these This sermon series I know has been heavy, but at the same time, um, it's connected in deep and meaningful ways about what real life and real faith looks like to different people in different ways. And so today we want to continue with this conversation. And for those of you who are visiting this series, Christ and Crisis, um, in in many ways this is a, a, a family conversation, but you're more than welcome to it if you're a visitor. Today we want to talk about uh, mental health quite a bit. In fact, I I taught a class at Oklahoma Christian uh, about a year ago called um, Christianity and Mental Health. I taught it with a a professional counselor, and in in some ways I was in over my head thinking about these things. But one statistic struck me is that um, in surveys that are done in churches, that almost three out of four people in churches say they wish there would be more public conversations about mental health. Now we realize these conversations aren't easy, but I think we need to have them. We need to have them as God's people. I've become more convicted that at my work at Oklahoma Christian, uh, that it, um, we have become far more comfortable at OC and by necessity with students because students want to talk about mental health. This is an ongoing, normal conversation at Oklahoma Christian, and it's good that we're finally open and having it. Right? It doesn't mean that the conversation dominates every conversation, 
But to not acknowledge it is to not acknowledge the very lives that people are living in the communities that we're a part of. So today, uh, Cody Boyd is going to come and share with us. Cody, if you can start coming on up. Cody has been a member of this church family for 10 years. He's married to Alex. They've been married for seven years. Alex has been a member of this congregation for 25 years. And they have a son, Watson, who's two years old. Uh, Cody works for ODOT. But he and Alex have been deeply involved in the life of this church and have served. And um, Cody has been very open with this, con- with this congregation about his struggle specifically with depression. And so we want to have a conversation about uh, depression today and what faith looks like in the midst of depression and what a community of believers look like um, that, that surround and are with people that struggle with depression. Cody, let me pray over you, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for our life is found in you. And I thank you for Cody, for his life. I thank you for Alex and Watson. I thank you for their family. I thank you for the ways that your spirit has been present in his life and working in this, the testimony he has to share. Father, I thank you for the ways you've sustained him, for the ways you've encouraged him, for the ways you've sustained Alex for the ways that you have walked and been present, even when it feels like there's only darkness. God, I ask for your mercy this morning, for your spirit to talk through, speak through Cody, and to give us ears to hear and hearts to respond to your call for us to be your hands and feet in a world that desperately, desperately needs you. We ask and pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, thanks for sharing. Thanks for being up here. Let's, let's begin. Um, so you've had a more recent episode of depression, but I want you to give us some background about when uh, you began noticing or when depression really began to strike you uh, and affect your life. Can you give us some of that background? Sure. So... Uh, my entire life as a, a child and as a young person had been on a pretty uh, clear trajectory and it was very focused on um, academic success and that will lead to career success and that is what will define my life. Um, and so it was a very linear and a very rational, if you do X, then Y, if you do all the right things, the right things will happen. Yeah. And people who have bad things that happen to them have obviously done the wrong things. Yeah. And. Um, And that's kind of how I approached salvation and faith. Um, When I was 21 years old in 2008, um, right before my senior year of college at Oklahoma State, uh, my dad died suddenly of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And I was the only child, so it was just me and my mom. It was a very crushing experience. Uh, And I saw my mom go through very severe depression. And... Uh, I was just angry, so for about a year, I just was stuck on the anger phase of grieving and uh, was just focused on, I just want to push past it and and get on with this because I'm so mad, I'm so mad at God, I'm so mad at the world. Um, and then when I was a senior in college, uh, 
It's right when the recession hit. And so, you know, we're, we're in college. I was in the business school. We're talking about these things every day in class. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? I have to go get a job here in a few months. And, you know, you just kind of feel the whole air out of, go out of your balloon when you see yeah. all of your goals and the things you've been working towards and you see that it's going to amount to nothing immediately. And so I graduated. I had, I had no prospects. I had no uh, clear direction. I moved back home and was just applying for jobs. Uh, I was working where I'd worked in high school in the summer. Uh, it was just a very... Uh, a very distressing time and a very disappointing time and I started feeling just funny I felt something different inside and it was you know people thought it was just disappointment and then it, it became more and more of that I started feeling really um, nervous all the time and that became even very very extreme to the point of you know I couldn't sit still then my appetite went away. I couldn't eat. Um, I lost like 20 or 30 pounds in a matter of a few weeks, which is a very unhealthy way to lose weight. And so it was it was affecting my me physically and then mentally. You know, I couldn't concentrate. I was only getting a few hours of sleep each night, and I was just thinking, what what is wrong with me? And finally, was you know went to the doctor and and, and had been denying this the whole time, but. Uh, you know, he said, yeah, you've, it sounds like you're, you have depression and anxiety and some of it could be situational. Yes. But then I also found about this out, out about this very long, uh, family history and that it was, uh, a very likely genetic thing as well. And family members in, in our family tree who had been through the dark days of institutionalization back when it was horrible. Um, people who had lost their lives and I was just thinking couldn't, couldn't be anything else and you know it was set, 2009 um, was a very different time than where we are today yeah. in terms of acceptance and even admission that a mental health exists yeah. and I was thinking is there some other disease or affliction I could lie and tell people it was <laughs> because people knew that I was obviously not well yeah um, and to explain to somebody that it's depression and anxiety, it just, most people, unless they've gone through it themselves, could not understand. And, uh, yeah. and it was, it was awful. It was, it was a truly awful time. Um, it's the mind is your greatest tool that God has given us. And if it stops working for you and starts working against you, then it, it's very hard to even get through day to day, minute, by minute yeah and uh and so we you know searched around for medication searched around for treatments and uh, again it was a very shameful thing so i was very intent on hiding it from anybody and trying to fake my way through it which is was very very hard because people could obviously see that i was in a lot of trouble and a lot of distress and uh, eventually found some some of the right medication and, uh, and some of the right uh, steps to take. And then also, I, you know, my mom encouraged me. She said, you have to get out of this house. You have to do something different. And so she encouraged me to apply for a, an unpaid internship at the state capitol and to move to Oklahoma City. So I went from having a, a tiny hourly wage to having zero wage and just living off of my savings. 
um, in a crummy apartment, and uh, and I just went to Quail Springs one day, which was nearby, and thought I'd check it out. And I was I was blown away at what I experienced because I, for the first time, experienced through church um, people who were openly in pain, people who affirmed pain and suffering. Uh, the church itself at the, at the time was going through some suffering. Um, and it really, really changed things. Uh, it, um, a lot of healing took, took place in that building and with the connections group of, of people I, I didn't know, but they accepted me with, with open arms and, uh, and they saw me live it, you know, out loud and, yeah. and not, not hidden. And like I said, a lot of healing happened there. And in the midst of that, of that time, I remember as we we talked over lunch that it wasn't just um, it wasn't just depression, but you you had an unpaid internship and you were living off your savings. You didn't have health insurance at the time, right? So it was a financial burden, not only Absolutely. just yeah. We were paying for all of that out of pocket, and it was just very no, nothing was certain at that point. Yeah. It was just clawing and desperation to try to make it to the next minute, the next day. Yeah. Well, we're really glad that you ended up at the Springs. Um, talk about uh, you experience with the right medication, with the right kind of support from your community, and, and over time God sustained you and, and brought some uh, balance and health into your life. Talk about more recently, um, um, you've been very open with many of us. I don't know, uh, most of you here, uh, if you're connected with Cody or know him, uh, if you spent time, any time in the green room before church, uh, he's been very open about talking about his depression uh, with his connections group. But over the past year and a half, kind of, kind of talk about some of the things that happened over the past year and a half, and then try to describe for us, if, if it's even possible, what your experience of the world in depression is. And so my, the, the first episode that I went through after I, when I was initially diagnosed was about four months, four or five months. Okay. Uh, and then things got better very rapidly. And, and then I went through many, many years of uh, a normal life and got married and you know, had, got into my career and things were going great. Our, our son Watson was born and by all accounts, my life should be great and I should be happy. Uh, and I was taking my medication. I didn't, you know, I didn't do any kind of drugs or anything that weren't prescribed. And still just one day, that something, a few things happened in my life that weren't really traumatic at all. But for whatever reason, around Labor Day of 2017, uh, I could just, you could feel it. You could almost feel something break in your head when it happens. I don't know if that's, the, that's that was my experience in any way. And I knew instantly that it was happening again, which was terrifying. And what I didn't know is that it would be over a year of going through this um, from when it first happened to where I f could finally feel like I was coming out of the fog. Um, I mean, goodness, to lose an entire year of your life to basically sitting on the couch, staring through the TV, just wishing from second to second that you could just go to sleep or something. And 
Uh, you asked me to kind of describe what it's like. It, it it's not rational. It, you can't. It's hard to explain it in any kind of rational terms for anyone to understand um, who hasn't witnessed it. Um, and I know a lot of people here witnessed it because I've sat on that same chair for a lot of Sundays and just kind of stared and would mumble responses if people would ask how I was doing yeah. or kind of grunt and and they could see Alex kind of had to lead me around because I could barely walk or you know even figure out how to navigate through the building uh, you know you each morning I would I would wake up and it would just be such a rush of anxiety when you wake up and realize, oh my goodness, I have to go through it again. I have 12 hours or whatever to fill until I get to go back to sleep. It would usually begin standing over the toilet, throwing up or dry heaving because I didn't have anything in my stomach. Um, just sadness all the time. Eventually, you just kind of go numb and you don't really have any emotional response to anything. I went from crying every day into a point where I couldn't cry anymore and it would just kind of squeak whenever I would try to get emotion out. Um, you know, you, you stop being able to concentrate, stop being able to think, start parts of your brain, I feel like they just start to shut down. I mean, I couldn't, I could barely do my job. I could barely drive to work. I got to the point I couldn't even drive across town a couple of miles to go to a doctor's appointment without having an extreme panic attack. I couldn't go out and mow the lawn without having an extreme panic attack, without Alex having to push me out the door and say, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, God, I mean, I didn't, didn't smile, didn't laugh for a year. I mean, and we were going through a lot of different medications, and, and part of it was some, I think, some bad medical advice of changing from medication to medication too rapidly. Um, and so going through the withdrawal of you start a medication and then you have to taper off of it, and some of that stuff is, is really heavy. And so the just the sick feeling you get from withdrawal and um, yeah, the and things I, and that, that could cause, it's, it's just it's awful physically and mentally. And we talked about how uh, it's not an exact science, right? So when they try one medication, it may take a month uh, before we can even see if it's really had the effect that they want. And a month seems like forever. Right. I mean, each minute is is yeah. awful. You're hoping as soon as you take the pill, the pill, I would just say, do something, please. When I would swallow those pills every night and every morning. Yeah. Uh, and we don't know. We we just tried anything in desperation to see different doctors, and you would just just look in their faces with, do they know what they're doing? Can hopefully is this person going to be able to help me? Um, we tried experimental type treatments which weren't covered by insurance and that was nearly financially ruinous because it just drained the money that we had for, we could have spent on many other things, but it was just totally out the door for that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I had to, I would leave work early, I would miss days at work. Eventually I just went on an extended period of leave, thank goodness for FMLA. Uh, and I thought at some point this is going to run out. At some point, they're going to have to fire me if I can't show up and do work. Yeah. You know, are we going to, if I can ever work again, are we going to lose the house? Am I going to, you know, end up under a bridge somewhere? Which I think is what happens to a lot of people that live under bridges is they didn't have someone like Alex or like my mom who 
could step in and carry them. Yeah. And, and that's where they end up eventually. Talk about how it affected your relationship with Alex. I know there's probably her perspective that we should have had her, but talk about from your perspective. So, you know, when this all started, Watson was about six months old, and this went through his first birthday, and, you know, he obviously needed lots of attention with all of the feedings and the nurturing that a child needs, and I mean, I was totally checked out of that process. I mean, she did 100% of the parenting for many, many, many months, and Alex is the... (laughs) You guys all know her. She is the most loving and compassionate person I know. That's why I married her. And, <laughs> uh, you, you know, she's this very sweet and very quiet, uh, loving person. But she she is made of iron. And the things I said to her out of fr- frustration and anger, uh, I was so mean to her. And... At times, I told her that I had nothing to live for, that her life would be better without me in it, and that she should leave and take Watson, and that I wouldn't hold it against her if she did. Mm. And she said, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Praise God. Thank you, God. Well... Talk about um, not only Alex, but the ways through which uh, God used Alex and others, uh, the ways God sustained you through this. Because you've, you've, you've now come through a season. It was a very, very long season. It's not to say that the season is completely over. Um, but the, the, those dark, dark days are over. Talk about yeah. the ways God has sustained you through this. So we we just we cried out and cried out and we said where are you? Uh, I don't I don't have some great faith that maybe some of the others who have given their testimony have. I, I said enough with this faith. I need it now. And but I never doubted that he was there and that he saw me in that suffering and that he was there with me in the hospital. And in the worst, the worst situations that he was there. And I knew he was there because his people were there with us. And that was members of our connections group, members of this church, even people we didn't really know that well. But they could just see from seeing me week to week that we were hurting. And as you mentioned, in in the green room, you know, Alex is, is usually doing something up on stage or back in the sound and, and audio booth every uh, every week. And so we would be in the green room most Sunday mornings and just the prayers that were sent up at, with people surrounding us every Sunday. And Alex said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep asking for this every Sunday until it happens. And they were very patient with us and and allowing us to to live our life not hidden and and to see it and to not push me away and to not hide their faces from it. And, uh, 
you feel like you lose a lot of your humanity with mental illness, and so how people respond to you and treat you with humanity and dignity really means a lot, especially when you come out of it and look back on it, and you could see that all those people were there um, with you through it all, and you know our connections group they they mourned with us um they helped sustain alex i mean it's a stuff stuff like this you need you need a large team it cannot all be on your spouse um, unfortunately our society forces us so much inward you know even into our homes physically that it you're, it's, it's got to be you and your spouse and your kids and we're humans can't live like that especially in times of great need. You have to have community who will get down there in the filth with you and hold you up. I mean, I, I had totally given up for months and said, I'm never going to get better. I don't even want to live. And so to have people carry you in almost the literal sense, uh, I mean, when you come out of it, how, el how ca else can you respond to such unconditional love than to say I, this is what I have I have to live with this kind of love towards others that's mm. how else to explain it it reminds me of this I'm just off the top of my head thinking of the story when uh, they bring the paralytic on the mat they lower him through the roof and it's interesting what Jesus response is is that he saw their faith Right? Not the faith of the paralytic, but they saw the ones that brought him. They saw their faith. They saw the faith of the community. What it sounds like, you had people carrying you on a mat uh, when you couldn't stand up and walk. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and people that said, they didn't say, I hope you get better. They said, you will, you will get better. Yeah. We have that kind of extreme, reckless faith that says we know... <laughs> We know that God will provide. Well, um, I'm interested to see what you would have to say, and you've said a lot to our congregation about those, um, and you're not the only one in this congregation. A part of why we wanted you to speak is because we know that there are people that, that struggle with uh, uh, mental health, just like there are people that struggle with other health problems and so um, you're not the only one and we'd, we'd love to be able and I know you'd love to be able to say I'll never be depressed again but I, I only say this because I know you're, you said I, I'm, uh, we never know right this, is, this may be something that's, that's with you sure. your whole life yeah. so in the midst of that what advice can you give to us I think one of the things that we wanted to be able to do is for those of us that, that haven't experienced it is to say um, partly, and this has been my experience of the world, is like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, right? And so it, it seems so foreign and alien, but what advice do you have for us as brothers and sisters in Christ that, that, that want to walk with you um, about someone who's struggling with different aspects of mental health? When I when I came to this church first, I it, like I said, it's the first place I'd ever been where I could people were were hugging and crying publicly during during a service. Uh, I just love how we do that here. It's not 
it's not a formal, you know, pressed suit, you know, kind of thing that maybe a lot of us grew up with. Uh, I mean, we live our lives in here and with these people, and it's 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 really simple things like that. It's seeing somebody and they're suffering and saying, "I see you," and I'm so sorry this is happening to you, and let us walk with you. And and when you say, if there's anything I can do um, to help, act really meaning that. Mm-hmm. And, and many times it means with someone, uh, when they're suffering through mental illness, things shut down so much that you don't even know how to ask for help. So at times you have to, and this is a very uncomfortable concept especially for our society but you have to uh, you have to do what you might consider overstepping and we very much value privacy and sometimes you're going to have to say I'm going to violate your privacy I'm going to insert myself into your life uh, to take care of of whatever whatever it is it's not a uh, drop a casserole off type of of an illness or affliction Yeah. that maybe we're the most used to in church. Uh, you really have to make a commitment and, and live with them. And there are people here that do that very, very well. Yeah. Well, I've, I've said to you before, and I'll say it again, thanks for letting us, thanks for being so open sure. uh, and letting us walk with you and letting us insert ourselves into your life as best we knew how to do and as best that we can. And I'm glad God worked and was faithful in that. What, it, what advice or, or what, what words would you have for someone um, that maybe that has or is or will struggle with depression or other aspects of, of mental health? I, I'm, sure that if I, I'm sure that if I asked for a show of hands in here, um, you know, that, that would be an uncomfortable thing for people to, maybe for many people to say, yes, I have mental illness. Uh, but I know if I ask for a show of hands of do you do you love do you have someone you love that is struggling with mental illness that you would get an almost a universal show of hands mm-hmm. uh, and so it there is such a great need it is everywhere you look um yet it's such still considered a very shameful it's very misunderstood yeah. uh, so if, if you're struggling with it, you can't hide it. Forever, and sometimes that just means people just stop going out and they stay at home. And you have to still go out and do things with people, and uh, live your life, live your life out loud. Um, and then I kind of, as I mentioned earlier, you have to have a community, and your community, uh, your family, does not have to be people that you are uh, related to by blood or by marriage, and. Long before Alex and I, I were together, my community, I had, I had friends who are as close to me, closer to me than my closest family members. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I saw a, a group of college students uh, during communion that were just huddled up, hugging and in prayer. And I thought, that is, that is great. That is, that is family as much as a husband and wife relationship or a relationship with your parents. Um, because those are the people who are going to see you every day and who are going to carry you when you can't when you can't walk anymore and so you you have to live i think in that in that way 
Um, so when you have an instance like this, uh, that people will be there to catch you, because it's it's kind of too late to go out and try to find community once you're once you're in it, you shut down and you don't want to be around people. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah. for sharing. And then and then I just want to add. Yeah, I mean, if, I mean, please. for very practical, if if you were here in this room and you were going through something like this and you don't know if you can talk to somebody. Uh, I mean, even going to the doctor is a very scary step. Yes. Um, if you aren't sure what your diagnosis is, but I mean, I, I, Alex and I want to be those people for you if, if that's what you need. Um, you know, we'll, we will sit and talk with you. I'll talk to you in the middle of the night if that's what it takes, whatever it takes, because um, that's really what you sign on for with something like this is whatever it takes. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing and being vulnerable with us. And today's not the first time you've been vulnerable and shared with us. So thank you for even walking in your darkest moments um, and allowing us to walk with you in that. We have resources. In fact, right now after church, there will be people in the prayer room or others. Uh, Cody, if you need to talk with somebody, if you need to pray, we also have resources at this church that if, if, if you want to take that step and uh, think, I need to see a doctor, I need to see a counselor, uh, we have resources to help with that, and we want to be able to connect you with that. Um, but I just want to thank Cody and Alex for sharing their lives with us. And as we close, I want to pray, but I want to do this. I want to, like we did last week, ask those who've walked with Cody that would like to come up and pray around him to come up. And if it's okay, if you know someone that's struggling uh, with mental health, if you want to come up as well, and Cody, if you, not only we could pray for you, but if you could be representative for all those and stand in that place and allow us to pray for all who are going through depression and mental health and are walking in dark, dark places. If we could not only pray for you, but we could pray for others. So, for those of you that want to come up, let's join in prayer. If you'll stand right here. Father, honor and praise and glory be to you for you've created us and our life is found in you. And I thank you for Cody, for his life, his faith. I pray for healing, for healing and for you to bring health into his life. I pray for his marriage and his relationships with his family and with those in this church and with his friends, I pray that you will bring shalom and peace and healing. God, you are the God that walks with us, walks with us through the shadow, uh, through the, the sh in the shadow of the valley of death, in dark places. And we give you thanks that you walk with Cody. And God, we pray for all who experience depression 
who experience mental health challenges. We pray for healing. We pray for people who will carry mats and bring them to you, that will bring them to doctors, that will bring them to places where they can find healing. May those long days, those seconds that feel like hours, may you make them short. May you bring peace. May you bring serenity. May you bring only what you can bring. And if there's not the peace there, then God, we know that you are there walking with them. And so we follow you into that darkness to walk with people. Give us courage to do so. And may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord Jesus, come and heal all of our brokenness. For we are in desperate need of you. Thank you for Cody, for his life and faith. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus, who is the one that has walked with us in our despair and brings life to us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I want to read to you, as you gather back to your seats, I want to read a quote from a person of faith. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. I want to read to you a quote from a person of faith who struggles with depression. It's rather long, but I want you to hear it. The quote says this, Lord, you are the God who saves me. And day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life feels like death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. I feel like you've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made, made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deed in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, does it feel like you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. This is horrible, and I am in despair. All day long, despair surrounds me like a flood. It has completely engulfed me. It feels like it has taken me from friend and neighbor. And darkness is my only companion. These are our words of a person of faith. And it may surprise you that these are the words of the psalmist from Psalm 88. 
And it strikes me that he ends on this note. Darkness is my only companion. Joy is a part of the Christian life, and we should celebrate that. Joy is part of what it means to be a Christian. But not all life is full of joy. And sometimes comments like, you just need to be happy, they just won't do. And I wanted you to hear the psalmist because Scripture and God gives a place for this expression of faith. Do you hear that? That God gives a place for us to express faith in this way. And when I read the psalmist, I read one that is experiencing the darkest of depression. The good news is this, is that when Jesus was in the garden, it says in Mark 14, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter and James and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to him. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it is possible that the hour might pass for him. And he said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Then he goes back and Jesus' followers are asleep and he says, can't you stay awake and pray with me? And I think God calls us. We don't know what to do. Just to go into the garden, into the darkness, and sit and pray. And for those of you that are experiencing those dark moments, that can say, like Jesus said, that my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, that you can hear those words and know that Jesus knows exactly how you feel. He knows exactly how you feel. So if you find yourself in a season of darkness, hear Jesus' words, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And here's his prayer, take this cup from me. In your season of darkness, Jesus is with you. In your season of darkness, Jesus endures with you. And you can endure. Because we know that when Jesus, when God becomes man, he knows our pain, he knows our suffering. He meets us right where we are. Let's stand and sing.